Hey everyone, it's Richie Burke, founder of GGMM and host of the Go-Getters podcast. I'm here with Ryan Duffy, founder of Meridian Putters and host of the Duck Hook podcast. And today for this episode, we're teaming up for a Duck Hook Go-Getters collaboration to bring you an exclusive interview with POI David Roche and Harry Yap. For those of you who don't know David and Harry, David Roche is the top teacher in the state of Wisconsin, according to Golf Digest this year. Kind of a big deal. He's the former Wisconsin PGA Player of the Year, winner of the 2002 Hooters Tour Shelby Classic. He's also the 97 WSGA Player of the Year and was at the top of the leaderboard in the 2004 US Open at Shinnecock. And then some events happened, ended up with a 31st place finish, made the cover of the New York Times, and he was thinking about kind of ending his career before local qualifying. So just a crazy story, which we'll dive into. And Harry Yacht is currently finishing up his final year at Vanderbilt before he'll turn pro this spring. He's the reigning back-to-back state open champ, former state am champ, and was the only person to lead a match against Victor Hovland in the 2018 USAM at Pebble Beach, I believe, for three holes or something like that. But you you were the only guy. <laughs> three or four, I don't know. Well, way to go. And welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Um, so diving in, Roche, let's start with you. You played at UW. What was turning pro like back in the, in the 90s compared to today? Can you take us along that journey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I turned pro and... Uh, Certainly endeavored on the mini tours. As you mentioned, uh, I had a Hooters tour win. Um, and that was that was one of the sponsors of the mini tours back in the day. And uh, one of the perks of that was you got 20% off at Hooters restaurants. So you win the Shelby class. What, what's it like rolling in with a $20,000 check the, the size of a surfboard into Hooters with a 20% off discount? Did you have to fend off a lot of groupies? What, what was that like? What city was that in? Well, uh, yeah, that was, uh, well, Shelby was outside, boy, I'd have to think about that. I think Knoxville, maybe, area. It was in Tennessee. And, uh, well, I was married at the time. So I you know, certainly didn't have to fight off any of those ladies. But yes, must, rolling must around, have been tough on you as a rolling around that big check, I felt like Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Now, the Hooters tour back then, I mean, the Hooters tour was a big deal. I mean, there were a lot of good players on that tour. It was sort of the big mini tour at the time. So back back when I played uh, Zach Johnson, whom I'm sure you're probably aware of, uh, Chad Campbell, Bubba Watson, you know, Ben Curtis, there, there was several tour winners that played. Mark Wilson, um, and, and they all had won out on that level at that time. So it was definitely a proving ground to get to the next level. What was the grind of that like compared to uh, people on the mini tours today? Uh, I don't know what it's like today because I haven't been out there in a while. Um, but it was uh, load up the cars, pack up the car. You had your, you had all your clothes. Your everything was packed in there: coolers, TVs, clothes, clubs, training aids. You know, you name it. Uh, Mark Wilson had uh, portable weights that he could put water in, and that's what he would do from week to week. So, and I travel with Mark, so that was a. Uh, that was always a bonus. 
at the time when you were playing on the Hooters tour, I mean, it, it was sort of set up. You would go from city to city to city, correct? I mean, there was even a Hooters tour stop in Milwaukee at one point, right? It was at uh, Oakwood uh, Park. Uh, believe it or not, there were two Hooters tour stops. One was up in Green Bay. And, um, oh boy, I can't remember the name of that course. Okay. I'm going to get you in trouble. Can we edit this? Of course. I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> with that. What's the name of that course in Green Bay? Oneida? Nope. Uh, the Resort. Is it where the LPGA has their thing? No, no, but uh, it's just south of oh, Green Bay. Oh, Fox Hills? Yeah, Fox, Fox Hills, Hills National. Yep. So yeah. Fox Hills National. <laughs> yeah, Fox yeah. Hills National. There was the a national. Hooters event at Fox Michigan. Hills National. Michigan, Wisconsin. Yep. Yes. Yeah. yes, and I want to say it was probably there for two years, and then there was an event at Oakwood uh, for, I believe, two or three years, and Paul or Cicero was the head pro at the time. Okay. Yeah, so the Hooters tour geographically kind of like started in the south, worked its way up, it stayed in a little region so that when you traveled, you just drove from event to event. And then it kind of moved its way north, you know, during the kind of the spring. And then it moved itself back. Down and it was, a, it was a $20,000 first place check, which at the time was a pretty big deal. The, back in, uh, what year did I win? I can't even remember. You 2002. Probably, 2002. 2002. <laughs> so $20,000, <laughs> $2,002. Uh, inflation, what would that be worth today? I, those are numbers math, I can't right? even. Gotta be forty. <laughs> gotta be forty. Gotta be forty. Gotta be forty. Are there any? Is there a crazy story that sticks out from that time period to you? Life on the road. Did anything nuts happen? Uh, I mean, I have a uh, interesting uh, uh, Hooters tour, like the Hooters girl story. If you want to hear a silly one, Sounds absolutely. Yeah. So the, on Wednesdays we have pro-ams and so pro-ams, you know, are just like a pro-am on the PJ tour. If you were in you know, the top 30, the money list, you had to play in the pro-am. So, so on Wednesdays, you know, sponsors would come out, they get paired with a pro and then the Hooters tour girls would come out and they would sit on like par threes and, you know, serve drinks and whatnot. Well, at one of the events, they had a beverage cart. And so they, they said to the girl, Okay, well, you know, she's never done it before. They said, well, you you hop, you grab on the cart and you go backwards. You start at 18 and you go 18, 17, 16, you know, you go backwards around the course. So sure enough, the girl hops in the cart. She puts it in reverse and she starts to go backwards. And she Good. was going backwards down the 18th <laughs> hole of the cart. Could have so that, anyone. That, <laughs> 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 so that was uh, that was one of our uh, our funny stories. Uh and then we had uh, the the most successful cross-handed golfer, if anybody ever heard of Josh Broadway. Josh Broadway played the Hooters Tour. He played cross-handed. Wow. Literally hit the golf ball cross-handed. He was semi-successful. He actually got his um, nationwide tour card, um, I think twice, played cross-handed. So wow. was, was, was the goal of the Hooters Tour at the time just to get enough cash to essentially uh, pay for Q school in the fall? Yeah, I mean, really, it was just a place that played very similar to the PJ tour. You know, you had Monday qualifiers for people not in the event. You had Wednesday pro-ams. You had Thursday, Friday cut, Saturday, Sunday champion. So yeah. that's what the PJ tour does. That's what, you know, the um, Corn Ferry tour does. So it was basically if you wanted to feel like what a week was like on tour minus the people. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. minus the money um, and minus the city. Yeah. Uh, that's what the Hooters tour was like. And that was one notch below. It would have been the Bidoc Com Tour back then, which is yes. the Corn Ferry now. Yes, yes. So that was the step below. So it, uh, Canadian Tour was kind of similar, but remember the Canadian Tour only played like ten events a year, whereas the Hooters Tour played twenty five events. So, 
transitioning, you you were on the Hooters tour. Did you play the Nationwide before your U.S. Open at Shinnecock or when? How, I did how, not. Okay, so you're on the Hooters tour and you're thinking of mailing it in at that yes. point. And yes. then U.S. Open <laughs> local qualifying comes up and you get through. Can you walk us through just that time period of your life? You said it was in Lake Geneva, right? Yeah, so so local qualifying was at uh, Geneva National. It was on the Palmer course. Um, I think I remember I might have shot like one under, you know, which was an okay score at local qualifying. And then uh, and then I went to a um, nationwide qualifier in Chicago and I like just missed that qualifier. And then I drove down to St. Louis to do the 36-hole qualifier and um, I was the first tee time. That was like at 7 a.m., you know, two some going out. Um, St. Louis in June, it was probably 100 <laughs> degrees. I had some local caddies, super nice guy, but I was just like, just carry the bag. You know, let's get this over with. <laughs> and so uh, so I think I, I, I forgot what I shot. I think I might have shot like 70, 70 or 70, 71. And you know, tough golf course. It was um, Old Warson and uh, hard. And so, I, you know, I, after the first round, I didn't really get to look at any scores because I'm first out, I'm done. You grab a sandwich, you go back out. And I'm like, well, it was an okay score. And then, uh, so I didn't really know. I guess that was probably the uh, the blessing, right? Didn't know any of the scores, didn't know where I stood. And then uh, go back out in the afternoon and just just kind of played really solid golf and come in and, you know, I had to wait a while because mm-hmm. it was the first tee time. And uh, sure enough, I mean, that that was that was good enough to go. So I didn't. I was thinking about just getting that over with and, and hanging it up and all of a sudden lightning strikes. So what I mean, what's the process? You you find out you qualify, you get the the medal, the invitation, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got two weeks to get to Shinnecock, right? Yeah. So what what do you have to start doing like immediately? Gotta book flights, gotta find a place to stay. Uh, you know, immediately is find a place to stay. You know, I mean, that was got to be tough. Yeah. The, um, uh, luckily, I had um, Eddie Irkmanis, who actually works for TaylorMade now. He found us a place out there um, that was like available. So, so that was that was nice. Um, what ended up happening was the place was kind of small and a little bit uh, run down. And then, uh, luckily, uh, some members at Triple uh, which is now uh, University Club, yeah, um, they had some relatives out there. And, and the gentleman's name was Teddy Foscolo. Okay. Yes. And Teddy was very successful. And he had a wonderful size house with a guest house. Guest house. And so, yes. yes. <laughs> Those are good. And so yep. then Teddy took myself and my family in, and uh, it was a fantastic week. Awesome place. Roche, before, before digging in on that, that qualifier where you think you drop an okay score, and there's no live scoring. At no lives coming back guessing. at that time. Who, yeah. who's it like? Are you just sitting around watching these store, scores come in and they're a little higher than you? Did you have what percentage chance did you think you had to make it when you walked in? And then what was that afternoon like when you're probably sitting around for hours just hoping <laughs> every score that comes in is higher <laughs> than yours? Uh, well, I mean, I knew there were a couple of tour players in the field. And so I knew, you know, like I was looking at those scores first because I'm like, oh, you know, he's a good player. He's a good player. So those were the kind of ones that I was keeping an eye on. I had no idea, to be honest. I mean, I knew I played really well. I knew the course was hard. I knew it was set up tough, but I really had no idea. Again, I'm 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 ready to hang it in. You know, I was let's get this over with. Let's let me get back home and uh, you know, let's figure out what the next step in my career is at that point. So yeah, but it I mean, you know, back then, no live scoring. You know, you could you couldn't even really walk out on the course and be like, "Hey, how how how's the guy doing here?" You know, like that. So it was really just 
sit around and wait. And sure enough, it was like I said, it was good enough. Harry, have you have you ever played an event where there's no live scoring? I mean, can you even imagine? <laughs> like, this seems like a foreign time, but I remember the days of the old scoreboards where you had no idea. Now, I mean, literally, um, well, a lot of amateur events, you literally post your scores hole by hole. I mean, that that's got to be almost a foreign concept to you these days. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think the like WPGA four balls without a leaderboard, the qualifiers. Yeah, right? I, don't, I guess that would be the only one, like a. State AM qualifier or something that they update by nine. You're like, man, why can't they get no? Those, those are those are like real <laughs> time. Now. Yeah, yeah, I'm hitting oh. refresh on my iPhone like every hole <laughs> in those things. So, <laughs> I mean, on that note, you said so you mm. actually felt better not really knowing what the other scores were, just going out and playing that second round. I mean, do you think you would have had more pressure on yourself if you knew, hey, I'm really close to the lead? Or, I mean, is it almost a good thing to not know where you stand? Um, I, I think at that point, um, Again, the long, hot day in St. Louis, you know, I was pretty much running out of gas at the end anyway. So yeah. had I known would it change anything? I, I think I remember, I, I don't know exactly, but I think I might have bogeyed 17, but then I birdied 18, you know? So it was like kind of a, so then, and then I knew when I finished, I'm like, well, that was pretty solid golf. I guess at the end of the day, I would have just, you know, if I didn't make it, I'd be like, well, I played pretty solid golf on a tough golf course. So yeah. satisfying for that, you know, aspect, because like I said, I was, I was ready to, I mean, you know, I think at that point on the Hooters tour that year, I was, uh, you know, finishing about 30th every week and, you know, mm-hmm. that's not going to cut it. There might, there might be a lesson to this. You talked about just going in thinking you're going to hang it up. Was there like, <laughs> did you put a ton of pressure on yourself when you were on the Hooters tour and grinding on the mini tours? Like I'm assuming most people doing at that point, you're just kind of like, eh, fuck it. We're going down to St. Louis and we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, cause yeah, at that point, I I kind I remember even driving down, and I was thinking, you know, th- this just can't keep going, you know. I'm I'm I and I was okay with it, you know. Just, Sometimes that's when you play your best golf, and it is, you know. And I was okay with the fact that hey, maybe I'm just not good enough to get to the highest level, you know. And then that's okay. I mean, that can be a reality, especially like you think of the fine line between success and failure at high levels, right? I mean, the those are the best players in the world, right? And everybody wants to play there, and it's the hardest place to get to. So, yeah, I mean, and then and then to go into the open, obviously, and, and have success, it was like, okay, well, I'm obviously good enough. It's just, am I good enough on a consistent basis? Yeah, let's let's fast forward to that. Fast you're, forward. Yeah, you're, so you're you're basically going to hang it up, and then three weeks later, you're first place on the leaderboard, and you're on the <laughs> front page of the New York Times, which was a big deal back then. Yeah, that was, that was the whole, that was the biggest part that uh, my... The people we were staying with had some, got some papers, you know, the next morning, and I was on the uh, bottom fold front page of the New York Times. That's unbelievable. So that was, uh, it was it was Tiger and myself. <laughs> We've had slightly different careers since then, but you know, I mean, I like to think of myself, you know, in the same category. Count it. <laughs> Count it. <laughs> Uh, that, so not only do you get to play in a U.S. Open, but you play Shinnecock, which some people would say is one of the top courses in the country and maybe one of the most difficult. What when you got out there, like did you get out there on Sunday, how do you even start to prep for that? Yeah, so I I actually drove. I drove. Yep, okay. I, I wanted to make sure I had everything in the car. Yep. Uh, uh, training aids, yeah. <laughs> clubs like that, and plus, you know, at those events, you you get free clubs from the manufacturer. So I had to have some room in my car there to put some of those extra clubs. Yep. Remember, I'd never been in one before. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, TaylorMade. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so no, so I drove out on Saturday. 
And um, we went to the course on Sunday. There was there was you know scattering of people there, tour players, you know members kind of hanging out. So I went out and played um, nine holes on Sunday just to kind of see the course. Um, amazing experience, sure. You know as you can imagine, and uh, and then obviously Monday when they open it up to the public, I mean you know the practice rounds are are sold out. There's people lining everywhere, and people were asking me for my autograph. <laughs> And I'm like, they don't know who I am. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's this guy here. He's got golf clothes on. He's inside the ropes. He's got clubs. Let's get his autograph. Yeah. So, you know, that was pretty cool. But my, um, if I think back to practice rounds I played with, because I was friends with Zach Johnson. I played with Zach Johnson, uh, Davis Love. I played with Steve Stricker. Um, so it was kind of really fun. Like, because in the U.S. Open, you can sign up with anybody in a practice round. I mean, I don't know if they're going to play with you, but you can sign up with anybody. So, um, I tried to sign up with, you know, like people, I'm like, oh, I want to play with this guy. I want to play yeah. with that guy. You know, unfortunately, I couldn't play with Tiger. But, uh, but yeah, I signed up with some of the the elite. And then the first round, I mean, tell us about what happened on that first day, obviously. And yeah, we, again, so we were like the second or third tee time out. Who'd they you, don't who do that anymore. Who did you anymore. play with? Um, so it was just three qualifiers. It was, okay. um, they don't do that anymore. I think that might have been the last year <laughs> that they, so you used to put, you know, just some some qualifiers who won or played well in the qualifier early tee times. Now they put you all at the end. So like, so we were like the second tee time out, and and uh, I remember like the second hole we started on the back nine. Second hole, like I hit the pin, you know, almost went in for a hole in one, and and uh, just rattled off a couple birdies in a row, like it was no big deal. <laughs> like this isn't the U.S. Open. Um, so yeah, so uh, I was through, I think I was four under wow. through like six holes, you know, and then then maybe bogey the hole coming in, shot three under in the front nine, and. I think I got back to four under one point and then I finished at two under, which was at that point it was leading because there was a rain delay in the afternoon. Still at the top of the leaderboard after Thursday. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. So then tell us Friday comes along. I mean, you, you are you thinking at that point, like I'm leading the U.S. Open? Like, is there, or is there, well, I wasn't at that point, you know what I mean? The rain delay was over and, uh, but I was, I was in like third place, you know? And so you probably had a lot of time too, if there was a lot of time because I was at afternoon tea time. Yep. And, uh, at that point you probably went from like being happy to just participate in the thing to, oh shit, maybe I could actually make the cut in this thing though. Yeah. Wow. I'm on the front page of the leaderboard. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, again, I, I, w- I had been playing pretty well, so that wasn't wasn't so much of the issue. And uh, I think I went out and shot 72, maybe it could be or 74, 72 and, you know, was in the top 10. So at that point, you know, I knew I, I was hoping for because I think it was top eight, you know, gets into like the Masters, gets into the Open. So that was kind of my thought process. I'm like, boy, if I could get into that number, that would be amazing, you know, because because making the cut. At that point, like if you made a cut of majors, you went right to second stage of Q school. So I already knew, like, hey, I don't have to go to first stage of Q school. Wow. So okay. that was a nice bonus. Um, and then, yeah. So at one point in the final round, I was one under for that through like six or seven holes. And that was like in eighth place. Of course, I didn't finish there. <laughs> but uh, so, so I, you know, I mean, that was, that was an experience that obviously I'll take with me forever. And unfortunately, I've never gotten back. Oh, still an incredible week. Going back to the final round, there's there's a, there's a story floating out there that you fired your caddy on the middle of the first hole, and a lot of people aren't quite sure what mm. happened. And then there's you know there's a little rumor that he might have been having a late night in in New York City, and maybe 
projectile I, I didn't on the fire <laughs> I did not fire my caddy um I I let my caddy go because he wasn't feeling well um I don't know what had caused the illness <laughs> you can assume however you would like but um I mean he did he did a great job up until then and uh he just he was he was not gonna make it let's just put it that pressure way. just got to him the pressure got, pressure yeah, yeah. got to you him. think it would have gotten to me but no he, 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 he got, celebrated <laughs> a little prematurely he, on he, on saturday night and not sunday night he, he might have and 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 only you know he knows the truth to that story i don't really know what happened that night but before. you pulled your swing coach in I pulled out my of swing the coach, audience yep. mid, mid fairway yeah rich abel uh i mean he was fantastic uh, he was a great sport you know because like there was nobody else there i mean it was, <laughs> it was uh you know pull rando yep. you know out of the Tin uh, cup situation yeah right hey you come over you you want to get back you and uh but he was right there and uh and i was like hey you want to go he's like let's go and uh so he was fantastic that was uh you know if, if it wasn't going to be either my wife or you know my you know somebody from my family uh he would have he was the first choice and then when it, when did, after that that had to obviously be be a confidence booster of oh I could make it out there, mm. and then you still you played professionally for a few years after that, mm-hmm. and then you hung it up. What was that like? And what when did you ultimately decide to hang it up and start teaching? Yeah, so um, that that year I did. Then uh, I think I won the state open that year, which was nice. Fellow state open champ right here. Yep. And, How many um, state opens are at this table right now? How many state well, I open titles? One. Oh, Harry's already got Harry's more, got than, more you. than me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. This is, I mean, you know, D- Duff has a state open participation from Blue Mouth. <laughs> yeah, I have an appearance. <laughs> he has an appearance. <laughs> That's fantastic. We we got a few Those state counts. am and state open appearances on this side of the table, and you guys got a few titles <laughs> yeah. on that side of the table. <laughs> we, we, they all count. we have questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all count. yeah, yeah. Um, and then I did, I played in the, the U S bank championship, which was the tour event back yeah. in walking and I made the cut in that too. So that was nice. So, you know, like felt like the game was, like I said, it was good enough to play out there. It just wasn't consistent enough. Um, and then unfortunately that, that year I did not make it through to finals. So that was kind of a tough decision. It was like, you know, I didn't make it to finals, had a good year, you know, should I keep going? Luckily the next year I did play. Um, I made it to finals at Q school back then they gave out 25 tour cards and I, I don't know why they don't give those cards out anymore. I was going to ask you, how do you yeah, like the I new set? That <laughs> right on the I mean, we're, we're killing dreams. Uh, come on, PJ tour. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, but, um, and I, and that was six rounds. So, so first stage, four rounds, second stage, four rounds, final stage, six rounds. And through four rounds in the final stage, I had my card. I was in top 10 and uh, unfortunately I shot like, two over the last two rounds in a finals of Q school that doesn't cut it. Right. So I got a, um, you know, nationwide card, um, and played out there the following year. Um, didn't, didn't have much success, you know, just like a couple top 25s, nothing that, you know, would be like, so then I actually, um, stopped playing for that next year, um, and worked. And then, um, I worked at North Hills and then some members at the club said, why don't you go back to Q school? So I went back to Q school and, of course, made it to finals again, <laughs> fortunately. Uh, <laughs> uh, played okay. I, I I think I got, I got at that time, it, I think it switched. No, maybe still nationwide card. Yeah. Um, and I got my card again and went back out and played. And same thing, just, just mediocre. You know, just a couple top 25s, missed cuts. Then I just said, you know, I kind of wanted to start a family. Yeah. You know, my wife and I wanted to start a family. And so... 
that was kind of one of the decision factors of uh but i wouldn't change it you know it was um life experiences people i met along the way tournaments that I played in, courses that I got to play. Great experience for life. For sure. And when did you start teaching Harry? How did you guys Ooh. get together? Let's talk Harry. about that because you've been working together for a while. I think I was 10 or 12. I don't really. We, we tried discussing this last year. We couldn't put a finger. When did you know Harry was a special player? Did you see this talent right away? Or how has that developed over the years? I mean, definitely had the talent. Um, the one thing that uh, impressed me was uh, when we did the lessons. Do you remember when we did the lessons usually in the winter? Sunday mornings. What time? I don't know. It was either 8 or 9 o'clock. <laughs> so, you know, here's a 12-year-old here's a that's like, yeah, I, I want to do the lesson first thing in the morning, you know, on a Sunday morning. Well, how many kids nowadays are getting up at that time and, and going to their golf lessons? Yeah. Probably not that many. That that was definitely an indicator to me. And then uh, his work ethic is is second to none. I mean, he he uh, he he outworks everybody. So the the passion, the drive, the I'll, you know, I'll come at eight in the morning if I have to, right? So that that shows uh, something that you don't see every day in, in students. And I was at the dome. You could just go there and hit for as long as you wanted to. Yeah, back in the I day. Remember, I remember that dome yeah. before it bursted or whatever <laughs> happened to it. <laughs> you have to improvise in Wisconsin, that's for sure. Yeah. Here, so through your junior career, what what's really gotten you to where you're at right now? You've obviously had several USM match play appearances. You've won the state open back to back. Um, your game's clearly evolved over the last 10 years since you started working with Roche. What's how you got there? I think um, I think when I was you know really young, I kind of always had like a physical. I probably had like a physical. Um, I was physically better than kids my age, probably, and then started taking from David and got physically better, and also started thinking about the game. I remember I took a playing lesson from David. We played brown deer, and I was under a tree, like probably 120 yards away, and. I pulled out my pitching wedge because that's how far my pitching wedge went and hit my pitching wedge right into the tree. And David was like, what club did you hit? And I was like, pitching wedge. And he was like, I would hit like a seven iron. And I was, it just didn't quite click. Like, why would he hit a seven iron? And then he had to explain, you know, like, you can't just punch a pitching wedge because that's the right number. You have to take less loft and whatever. So I'd say getting getting taught by like a better player probably helped me get even better and start thinking better and, you know, making the right decisions on a golf course. When did it really start to click for you? Like, when was the age where you started to think, okay, I'm not just going to be the best player on the high school golf team. Like, I've got the potential to maybe play in college, maybe play at a big-time school and and maybe do this beyond, you know, college. Yeah, Um that's interesting because I think part of that is like losing a little bit of innocence where like sometimes I wish I could go back to that. Um, I would say like my like just as an example, my freshman year in high school, um, I was still like playing for like I still play for the enjoyment of the game, but I was like purely playing for the yeah. enjoyment of the game my freshman year. And then one time we had a mini meet at Westmore and coach was like, you're playing one. The two seniors are playing two and three. And I was like, 
that doesn't really make sense. Like it didn't really click with me, and I li- I literally topped my tee shot off the first hole. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> with, with the three wood. But anyways, um, yeah, I'd say like probably the end of my freshman year high school season. Um, I had had like national success before the summer before that, but it wasn't until after my freshman year of high school where I was like, okay, like I could actually like get a scholarship and like use this to get a great education or, you know, take me to the PGA tour. So then you start making decisions like that and it changes a little bit. So when did, when did college coaches start to pay attention or when did you start to know like, all right, there's people watching, um, I've got a chance here. Like, what is that process like? Do you play in a national event and just see a bunch of coaches there or do they start to contact you? How does that work? So, because they didn't, they didn't contact me when I was playing <laughs> high school golf. Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't get, I didn't get too much love either. <laughs> so, the summer before my freshman year, I played um, in. No, I have this backwards. I think. Uh, no, no, yeah, the summer. So, two summers before my freshman year, I was playing AJGAs, and I won one super randomly. Hadn't really done much in, in any other one, and I. Go out in the first two. The first two rounds were the first two rounds of my life that I hit eighteen greens wow. in, in a round, and they wow. were two in a row. I think I'm still waiting for that first round. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, so I, I didn't get any attention after that because it hadn't really done anything, even though I won. And then the next summer, um, I won the AJGA at the Legend at Brandy Brook, my home course, and I happened to be playing. I was the feature pairing, if you want to call it that. Uh, but I happened to be playing with Wilson Fur, who is really highly recruited. And so we had the Georgia coach following us. And I know like Iowa State was there. And then I won and then won the next week in Chicago and came home. And I remember I had like 12 letters from colleges and my parents were like, this is so cool. And I was like, yeah. And I like didn't even respond to like, like September, like okay. I didn't send it back. I was like, this isn't important. I'm four years from college. Um, which looking back on it was kind of funny because I'm sure most people would send <laughs> that back <laughs> the same day they got it. But um, so yeah, there was, they send questionnaires and kind of the point of that is like the coaches at the time, it's different now, but the coach's phone number is at the top and you're kind of expected to, if you're interested, you know, contact the coach and definitely send back the questionnaire. But some lessons there in case anybody's getting uh, notifications from colleges. Return return the correspondence. <laughs> Worked out fine for Harry, but I think when you're at that level, it's almost a power move. You're playing a little hard to yeah. get. Hey, guys. It's Richie, and I've decided to interrupt the middle of this amazing podcast to present a great offer to you, to all the golfers out there. So as you remember from the intro, maybe I mentioned that Duff, who's co-hosting this one with me, launched Meridian Putters in September. And at GGMM, we've got to play a role throughout this, helping him market and launch the company. And it's been just really cool to see the company grow. And selfishly, it's been great being able to put my typically highly unprofitable golfing skills to use for business purposes. So anyway, anyway, I wanted to present an offer. You can go to meridianputters.com and use the code G-G-E-R-S, that's go-getters for short, G-G-E-R-S at meridianputters.com to receive 15% off any order. These are custom milled 
CNC putters at an affordable rate. They're very nice. I can't guarantee you won't three putt anymore or it'll fix your putting stroke. But if you continue to three putt, at least you'll look a lot better doing so and the ball will still feel better off of the face. So again, make sure to head to meridianputters.com. If you want to put in an order, use the code GGERS for 15% off. And if you fill out the custom order form, just drop that code in there and we'll honor it. So anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the episode. You know, Harry, so you're at at this point with all the accolades you've had, you're about to turn pro this spring and there's there's really no guarantee you're going to be on on tour at some point or where you're going to get to. And I've I've played with you just once. I've seen you hit balls a few times and I'm just kind of like where where's where could he improve? How could he get better because everything just seems like it's a flushed dart. So, what do you need to do to actually get to that next level? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest area of growth I probably need for that is like uh, trying to figure out the most concise way to say it. Like, um, and your coach is listening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like letting myself, um, like letting myself just like hit the golf shot as if there's no like um, no consequence or like no no um, there, it makes no difference in my score. So like if I was hitting on a range, like I could hit a, like, let's say I hit 10, three irons, which is probably my hardest club for me to hit. I might like, I'd probably hit like nine and a half on average, like relatively straight, relatively close to right distance. And then let's say on, on course, it, that number is probably down to like seven or is lower. And then you add in like pressure or like, Hey, you're five under and you got to like carry water on a par five or this or that. So kind of like trying to make every golf shot like just a golf shot rather than this is a three iron to make a birdie rather or like whatever it might be, you know, like holding consequences with golf shots, I think is an area I need to improve. So, so it's mental at yes. this point. Yes. Would you would you agree with that, David? <laughs> like everyone who's on Harry's level right now, only it's still a small percentage are going to actually make it big. Everyone has the physical tools. It just comes down to their mental game at at that high of a level i think that's definitely one of the factors i think uh for where he's at like technically in his golf swing i mean it's pretty sound uh we're we're generally sometimes making small little tweaks nothing nothing major because it's pretty sound to begin with so um and then yeah i mean the the scoring elements you know that's going to be the biggest factor and then yeah the mental aspects to that as well right because you know you can you can par an easy par five and while you should make birdie it doesn't mean it's guaranteed and then how do you handle that you know mentally moving forward in the round because it it's only one hole and uh you know it's it's 18 holes right so you got to be good all 18 holes you don't have to be great all 18 holes but you got to be good all 18 holes so yeah i'd say from a mental standpoint but i mean he you know from a young age like i said the thing that impressed me the most was his work ethic uh, certainly not afraid to get up on a Sunday morning and do golf lessons. And, um, I've always said, and he's sitting next to me, I'd say it to anywhere that, that he's mature beyond his age. So meaning like when he came to me, when it, when it was 10 or, or 11 or 12, um, you know, I thought, wow, that, that's one thing that really carried the weight with me. Maybe the physical ability was there too, but I thought, you know, he's, he's 11 years old and he acts like he's 17. You know, and it's carried throughout his career. I'd say that that's one thing that impresses me the most. 
Harry, so you, you've played in <clears throat> some big time events. You've played in three U.S. amateurs? Four. Four U.S. amateurs. Yeah. Oh, they got. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and, and, have you made it to match plan three? That's right. Okay. okay. <clears throat> what, I mean, what do you take from, from events that are that large? I, I mean, not to go through each one individually, but when you play in those matches, I mean, every time you play, it's, I know it's a different course and it's a different field, but. What have you learned about yourself in those events? And, and, you know, what when you're in the pressure situation, what have you sort of keyed on saying, okay, I've got to work on this for next year? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say they were all a little different. Like, so Pebble Beach was certainly like kind of like David was saying in the US Open of like, wow, I, like I can do this. Yeah. Like, I'm, that was easy. I still made mistakes and still, you know, was able to do it. Um, so I'd say that was the biggest thing there. Um, and then I went to Pinehurst the next year. And even though I missed the cut, I'd say I learned a lot from Pinehurst um, because I kind of like 15 holes in, I was like, I kind of had thought like, I'm not playing that good. And then I get in and I'm in like 80th. I shot six over on number two and was in like 80th. And I was like, okay, like this is like, but you know, looking back on it, yeah. yeah, looking back on it, I kind of regret how I had probably treated my back nine and it probably cost me. Yeah. No one knows for sure, but probably. And then, um, yeah, band and dunes was unique for me. Cause, um, like I always say that was, that was like the most consistent I had hit it and thought and the result came with it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of, I look back on that time as, like kind of like pebble beach a lot of like my potential um and it was also different because i had never like everyone grows up playing in some sort of wind but i had never experienced anything like that that's a unique spot out there for sure so the prep was totally different um and i would say i probably underprepared and and kept thinking like oh i'll figure this out whereas i think of a couple times especially the first round i hit shots that i was trying to punch rather than taking four clubs more sure so uh (laughs) But yeah, so I, I probably learned, I would say a takeaway from that one was, um, you know, some confidence and also maybe check all your boxes in the yeah. prep. Yeah. And then um, Oakmont was was different. Um, I was kind of kind of struggling with my game a couple months leading up, and then I wouldn't have thought that was a good course for my game. And... I I just competed really hard, so I probably I think that one I learned a little about myself of just yeah. like being a a competitor. But how frustrating was that for you this year when you ran into the guy who like bir- <laughs> did he birdie like seven in a row on you or something to end it? The last five, yeah. Okay, and at Oakmont, yes, that can't be easy to pull off because <laughs> you were leading until then. Yeah, what I round think was, I was that in? The first round, actually. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I birdied whatever the this is bad you know it's oakmont one of the best horses in the world <laughs> I, don't know the whole numbers, but I birdied the par five downhill uh and he kind of messed up birdie i probably shouldn't have won the hole and then he made like a 25 footer on the par three hit it close on the short par four made like a 25 footer on the hardest hole on the course hit it two iron to two feet on a 260 yard par three and then birdie to drive a par four that i just missed the putt so I was definitely a little frustrated and I kept telling myself he's not going to birdie them all. And he did. 
<laughs> so you, you so you did Pebble Beach, you did Bandon, Pinehurst, and Oakmont. Which was if you, if you had to pick one of those, because I mean that's a pretty strong list of uh, you know courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one did you uh, enjoy the most? Probably Oakmont or Pebble. Um, okay. Oakmont was cool because even with COVID, it was like like I bet they don't get tour. I bet they don't get tour events with that many people. And so, especially because I was like an underdog taking on the guy who had just won the Masters, we probably had like 80 to 100 people at kind of on our back nine, yeah. which was pretty cool. And as the underdog, they were mostly cheering for me. So That's great. That's so <laughs> um, cool. But that was a really cool environment. Um, and I know people were joking about like they should host a major at Oakmont every year or the USAM there every year because it's like tailor-made for hosting people and being hard. <laughs> One of the questions I had for, and Dave, you can talk about this too. When when you're talking about course setup and, and Oakmont is notorious for firm and fast, do you guys prefer a setup like that? Do you think like a firm and fast course setup rewards somebody who's striking the ball better? Uh, I mean, how do you guys, when you're playing in events, uh, I mean, what do you what do you look for? What gets you excited? Like when you were at Oakmont and you saw how challenging it was, did you you know, feel a little bit of like, okay, you know, there's gonna be a lot of guys who are going to sort of fall away with these conditions. I can outplay them, you know, just from a mental standpoint, does that cross your mind at all? I would say that in the practice round for Oakmont, I was a little intimidated. Everything there is like, um, tougher than TV or like video games yeah. do it justice. <laughs> uh, but then after the first round, I played the other course long view. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like right in it and I was feeling good about my game. And that, that was kind of where that mentality came okay. kind of like, okay, Oakmont is really hard. And I think I have a competitive advantage because of that mm-hmm. and because of how firm it is or um, everyone's going to have to grind. And I feel like I'm going to be better at yep. doing that than others. So that mentality definitely kicked in. David, was there a setup you preferred when you were playing? Did you like firm and fast or... Yeah, well, I mean, everybody likes, you know, soft. Right, I know. Uh, There's a few people who say yes Uh, to that. (laughs) uh, I I like firm and fast. I mean, uh, Harry's got a good point there where, um, you know, smarter golfers, higher golf IQ is always going to come out on top on the firm and fast golf courses because you have to think your way around a little bit better. You have to manage your game a little bit better. And you have to understand kind of how the ball is going to bounce and react, you know, the firm and fast. So I always liked firm and fast. I mean, Mm -hmm. It, it eliminates part of the the field more so on the golf IQ aspect because you have to think a little bit better. You have to manage a little bit better. And and so then you throw talent in there with golf IQ and you, your recipe for success. Do you guys think firm and fast eliminates? I mean, Harry, I'd be, I'd be curious about your, your opinion on this. Guys are hitting the ball so far these days, right? I mean, do you think firm and fast does a little bit to negate that? Or do you think longer, rough, you know, uh, more challenging, you know, tighter fairways is the way to go. In my opinion, when you have firm and fast, it brings more people in, you know, and like you said, the guys who are thinking their way around the course have a better shot at it, but it just seems like we're about to enter this time where these guys are just going to be bombing it all over the place. I mean, what what is your, I mean, that's sort of a long-winded distance question, but like, how do you, how do you feel the course is set up, you know, for guys who are hitting it long these days? Well, I think that Firm and fast definitely brings people, m- more people in, as right. you were saying. Um, and I guess the counter argument would be like, oh, well, they have shorter clubs into these firmer greens. Right. But, you know, when it gets super firm, everyone's bouncing them up um, or going for par fives. Like if you have a six iron in and I have a three iron in, your six iron's not holding the green either. So, yeah. Um, 
I do think I do think it negates it a little bit. Do you see guys? I mean, we don't know the college game like you do, uh, but I mean, I'm sure with people watching Bryson just bombing at 360 yards as far down there as he can, not really caring if he's in the fairway or not. Do you see that out there in the college game? Do you see more guys hitting it longer? There was definitely influence uh, last year when he was like going about that. Um, you notice like guys you had grown up watching and they were changing their swing or lifting their <laughs> left foot and yeah. you were like, you already hit it long. Like, what are you, what are you, right. what are you trying to do? Right. But so there was definitely influence. I, I'd say it's probably tapered off a little bit. Okay. Um, but maybe, maybe like if you were, if you had a young kid, you might tailor it to distance a little more. I don't know. Did that backfire on any of those guys? Because obviously Rory was in the news earlier this year when he said he was influenced by Bryson. Rory already bombs at a mile when he was trying to chase more distance, and he said it was counterproductive for for him instead of just sticking to his guns. I think um, I think there's definitely been some people that it was probably counterproductive for. Um, I've every time I've chased a couple miles an hour i've seen like other parts of my game get much worse and so then you know like a cost benefit analysis you're like okay i might be hitting it further but like is it that much worth it if my wedges are losing me you know however many shots around so i think it's definitely has a negative influence on some guys and might be why it's tapered off a little bit remember like on tour like when bryson wins at certain events he's not winning on the uh, on the hilton heads Right. He's not winning on the short, tight, you know, carve your ball here, carve your ball there. He's winning on the, you know, Bay Hill's pretty open. If you have played Bay Hill before, I mean, you can just bomb it. And uh, if you hit it far enough, get past some trouble, you might be in some rough. I mean, I I might get uh, reprimanded for this, but the PJ Tour doesn't have that much rough. Is the PGA truth? I mean, I've heard people say that the PGA Tour is essentially the same setup week in and week out, and, and they they put the pins they want to see birdies. Their greens are relatively soft. I mean, do you guys agree, or do you agree with that? Having played in some tour events, well, I mean, the, definitely uh, the the firm and fast only exists in the bigger events. Maybe the players' event if they can get the weather to work around it. Obviously, some of the majors if they can get the weather to work around it. But the the regular tour stops. I mean, the pins are tucked. But remember, the greens are soft, not mm-hmm. soft, but softer. Um, the fairways are receptive, and they really don't play that much rough. They right. do not play rough where you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't hit this out of here. Oh, I have to lay this up because I'm in the rough. So, I mean, it is tailored to making birdies. Right. You know, and and the guys are the best players in the world. They're going to go out and make a lot of birdies. Harry, what is your, I mean, what is your preference? Do you, I mean, you you're fairly long player like in relation to other college golfers are you in that top echelon of distance or are you sort of maybe a notch below that and when you approach a golf course what what do you look at do you do you kind of think all right we're just going to bomb it down there and see what we can do or do you try and sort of you know play it back what angle do i want to come into the green from where do i want to you know this tee shot to land where do i have the best options how how do you approach that yeah i'd say uh first off i'm probably in my college career, there have been times that I've been like average distance and probably this first semester and this summer, I was probably a little above average. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that gives you an idea of kind of the people coming through. Um, and then as far as like approaching, you know, my strategy, I probably am more so on the 
conservative side or like the finesse, like ball placement side. But there's definitely, and that's another thing I want to get better at is there's kind of just, you know, ripping it sometimes. But there's definitely some situations where um, you you think like, oh, even if I were to miss this fairway, there is a lot of benefit to getting it further up there. Um, So I'd say there's probably, there's probably like four holes on every course that like our team goes to and um, people have like largely diverging plans as far as like I'm hitting a three iron or some people might say right. I'm hitting a driver. Um, so I'd say, you know, every course probably has those holes and then you kind of have to factor in like, how high do I hit it? Do I hit a draw or a fade? Sure. Um, am I comfortable with that next shot regardless of where it is? So, And when you guys, I mean, sure now it's so different than when I was playing. Um, I mean, do you guys, you guys have literally like, satellite imagery of the courses right you can go online and like plot your shot dispersion you can kind of see the distance to carry certain bunkers in a way that we couldn't do it years ago so before going into tournaments i'm sure you guys do this you just map out your approach and you map out you know i guess where you can miss it where you can't miss it that sort of thing yeah exactly and kind of like pinpoint those holes that our plan like everyone's plan could be a little different that we might have to like key in on yeah so it is kind of funny we like we have a meeting and we go over the satellite images and everything (laughs) and sometimes they're like pretty different than the books because you can't see like trees that might shape a tee shot or whatever but for the most part the strategy involved like from the satellite images is pretty accurate it's it's crazy yeah yeah (laughs) Roll into some some lightning round type questions. Yeah, so we can we can go through some uh, stuff here that we put together. Um, both of you guys are from Wisconsin. There, there there seems to be you know a question that I ask a lot of guys: uh, Whistling Straits or Aaron Hills? Whistling Straits for the experience, <laughs> but probably Aaron Hills is a golf course. Whistling Straits. Yeah, I'm a Whistling Straits guy. Yeah, Whistling Straits. I liked Harry's politically correct answer. What is both. both of your favorite course in the state? Is there an under the radar course that mm. you guys like a lot? The, these two answers might be a little biased, but I really like Monaco and Blue Mound. Monaco country. Bias, yeah. I, really <laughs> I, I agree with Monaco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Blue really like Westmore. Too. Westmore. Yeah. You, is that where you want That's your state open? State open. <laughs> <laughs> politically correct. Uh, what was most nervous you've ever been over a golf shot? I'm sure your answer, Dave, is probably something to do with Q school, but Harry, <laughs> Harry's not as jaded yet. So Harry, what's the most nervous? <laughs> or, I can Second stage of Q school back in the day. I mean, you just had to make it to finals to get a card, you know, like a, a nationwide card or a tour card. And the last hole in Houston, Texas, I, I, oh man, this is going to be bad, but I think it's, is it a TPC course there? And it's an 18, eight par four, really Around good. Pond. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. And the second shot is really good driving home. You got to hit the ferry. The second shot is all over water. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably close to the number to make it, or I'm maybe within by one, maybe two shots. And, uh, I remember because, um, I think it was, uh, I have to think of the guys name. it might've been like Chris Cox. He hits before me, boom, splashes in the water. And I'm oh, like, man. holy shit. I'm about to poop my pants. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, all I gotta do is get this thing on land. I'm like, oh, and the caddy's like, hey, and the pin, of course, is tucked right front, right over the water. You know, and the caddy's like, hey, let's 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 go long left. You know, the yep. guy's like, let's go long left. I'm like, 
Like I'm like, all right, but but I still want to hit on the green. Like I, I you know, because because if I hit a long left and you know don't get up and down, I might I might miss it too. So that was the most nervous I've ever been over a golf shot. I and I had like, bet you I had like 195 in, and I hit I just flushed a five iron right and right at the center of the green, right where I was aiming, and it was perfect. And I remember that was the most nervous I've ever been over a golf shot. That's a good one. Mine's probably 18th tee of the first round of match play at the USAM at Pebble Beach. And there was because there was a lot of factors. The guy I was playing didn't know if his ball was up or gone left. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, totally rushing because I had never really been in that high pressure. I hit, it's like a, you hit a four iron or a three iron if you're going to hit an iron. And I remember I, I was thinking like, oh, I, like I'm definitely juiced up. I'll hit a five. And that just totally like, I didn't really want to hit a five. I just was kind of like going by what people say, like, oh, the ball goes further. <laughs> so I don't think I had thought through stuff that well, which has probably made me more nervous. Did you hit a good shot? I hit it in the bunker. So it's fine. But <laughs> so it was dry. It was Did you win that match? I did. I won that yeah, with a bogey. Wins a win. That wins a win. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, given that, like, given that, what, what can you, what advice can you give to guys who are listening who, I mean, when you are nervous or when you're under the gun like that, uh, you know, David, from a coaching perspective, like what, what can players fall back on? What are some things they can do when they're playing in a club match or maybe in their club championship, something like that? Like what, what do you recommend for guys like that to handle those situations? What, what'd you do in, you know, on the 18th? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, honestly, the, the sports psychologist would say, you know, stick to your routine. You know, what is right. your routine? Stick to your routine, do your routine over and over again. So basically the mindset stays the same. Um, I, one of my favorite sports psychologists is Mo Pickens. And uh, Mo says you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I think in, in sports, somewhat probably in life, you know, you have to put yourself in those situations so then you become comfortable. Even though I was uncomfortable, you were probably uncomfortable <laughs> on the 18th at Pebble Beach. Um, and I've been in other scenarios, and you have two where, you know, you're you're feeling that, I call it nerve-sighted. Yep. Uh, it's my own new word. It's nervous <laughs> and excited at the same time. Um, wow. Yeah, nerve-sighted. <laughs> Something new here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, you just, you have to embrace that. You have to, you have to get in the situation more and more and, and understand how to think, how to manage your emotions and, and then be able to uh, handle the, um, the excitement. Mm -hmm. Harry? Um, I think something I've had the most success with with that is obviously sticking to your routine, thinking through things, but um, is almost holding like an inner dialogue, like, like literally a conversation with yourself. You might not want to say it out loud. Right. It might be weird, but uh, like, you know, coaching yourself, like, or having a conversation with yourself, like you would with a caddy. Maybe not in like two different people, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of stuff going through my mind. A lot of inner dialogue sometimes <laughs> on those first tee shots. <laughs> yes, don't don't go left. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anything else? Yeah, I, I like to know Richie in your uh, state M qualifier when you shot. Was it like thirty three on the back nine? Was that it? Was it? I'd like to know what was going through your head. Yeah, th thank you for asking. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I think I, I limped in with a 
bogey for a 72, but oh, I got through, okay. but I can walk you through that if you want. Well, I thought I you had a stretch in one nine. Did you play good? I had a couple birdies. Oh, it was pretty, it was a pretty clean card. Oh, it was, okay. it was three birdies and four bogeys or oh, something. That's clean. Was, I like it. You know, it was that turtle back and I was, mm -hmm. I was very nervous over the tee. It's a par five <laughs> dog leg and there's out of bounds on both sides. Oh, and <laughs> I don't, I don't like OB on both sides because usually if there's OB on one side, I just steer it in the other direction. <laughs> so I at least am in play. But there's out of bounds on both sides. And I knew I probably needed a double to get through. Okay, but so double was the number. <laughs> so seven, yeah. I have driver in my hand. And thanks to the PAL strategy, I'm several drinks deep at this point <laughs> on the 18th hole to calm the nerves a little bit, where which us amateurs can implement. I don't know if you guys need to do that strategy. But I have a driver in my hand. And then I go to a six iron. So I'm just like, mm, I just need a bogey or a double. I put this in play. And then I had that inner dialogue and I was like, oh, fuck. I don't even know if this is going to go and bounce. But <laughs> might as well I, hit a driver. So I take the driver <laughs> back out. And then I pipe one like 320 Ooh, in play. In nice. On a mound. And then, um, you know, I juice like a six iron into the bunker. <laughs> hit an eight iron bunt out of the bunker from about 60 yards because I didn't oh. want to blade it way over the green and okay. out of bounds, <laughs> okay. just off the green. And then, uh, you know, I was in the rough and I putted it because I didn't want to chunk one. <laughs> and then, and then I'm about 15 here. feet away, lagged it up to about a foot, tapped it in for the 72 to advance to Westmore. A lot of ways to do it. There you go. That's a different outlook for our listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah, that you, that is, that you yes. would not get from Roche or Harry over there. But yeah, Turtle Back and Rice Lake was a great course. Great place. I like to qualify. that. Well, we'll have to put that on our list to play. Huh, you should. Yeah. You should. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean. All right. We'll we'll wrap it up there. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, a big thank you to the POIs, David Roche and Harry Ott for coming on this episode. And a big thank you to Ryan Duffy, good friend, for joint hosting this one. Make sure to check out his podcast, Duck Hook Golf, if you are into golf. Him and his co-host, his typical co-host, Chris Weinfurt, do a very good job over there. And if you're looking for a baller new putter this spring, make sure to check out meridianputters.com. We personally helped design the site at GGMM and I am slightly biased, but it's it's an amazing product and it's been fun to see that business grow. So check out meridianputters.com and um, you know another quick shout out to uh, David Roche for asking me that final question and allowing me to take you guys inside a very, uh, very mediocre golf mind after you got to listen to, to a couple great ones for most of the episode. That was that was a fun episode to do. Um, so thanks again for tuning in. And if you're interested in getting involved in the Go-Getters, whether it's your brand or submitting guests or topics, make sure to just visit our website, ggmm.io.